Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Luke Martin and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TRCT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in the beautiful state of Tasmania. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, remember there are now over 100 episodes of Talking Tourism, conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can simply stream off the TRCT website, trct.com.au. Today's episode is brought to you by our insurance brokerage partnership, Steadfast Taswide. Steadfast Taswide is part of the largest insurance broker network in Australasia, with close to 50 staff located across offices in Hobart, Launceston, Devonport and Burnie. They offer a full suite of business insurance advice and all tourism accredited businesses with TICT who engage Steadfast Taswide receive a 25% discount on their annual tourism accreditation fees. No catch, no hooks. It's just a very small but important incentive to encourage you to support a Tasmanian business and for them to put back into supporting your business. Thanks to Steadfast Taswide for their generous support of TLCT every year and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. And now let's get into today's conversation. And I am very pleased to be joined by Grant O'Brien, who is the newly minted Chair of Tourism Tasmania. G'day, Grant. G'day, Luke, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, before we get into your current roles, uh, you're one of these Tasmanian success stories that I love reflecting on. Um, born in the northwest coast, junior assistant accountant with Woolworths or maybe Ralph Voss during the 80s and literally worked your way up to the absolute top of one of Australia's biggest corporate trees. It's a pretty impressive uh, bio. Um, give us the 30-second potted history. Penguin was where I grew up on the northwest coast and it was a great little environment to grow up in and... and uh, I did that until my early 20s and then took the opportunity to go uh, interstate and chasing a football and uh, came back then to Hobart and and played a couple of years with Clarence and decided to retire from footy at 26, which at the time felt like I was 36, but looking back on it, 26 was very young. But I needed to get on with my my uh, my career and, and, and choose my path um, in life. And so I, I started studying business and uh, and eventually actually worked for Purity at the other oh, end Purity. of the island. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah so uh, joined them as, the, uh, as, as an assistant accountant and went from there into uh, marketing. A, a fellow reasonably well-known in Tasmania, I think Michael Kent yeah. was, the, was the boss of Purity and, and was an incredible mentor. Uh, someone who I continued to talk to right through my career with with Woolies, always good for a wise word and 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 direction. He was a terrific fella. Uh, but I did marketing um, with him before being asked to go to to Sydney and take up the national marketing role for supermarkets, and uh, that led on to a range of other um, uh, roles over the, the almost thirty years that I was with Woolies. The last five being as as uh, as CEO. So you know. Woolies, Woolies in every town, you know, there's three, over 3,000 stores and 220,000 staff. So, 220,000 uh, staff. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember talking to my mum when she was asking about where I worked and those sort of things. And Penguin, when I grew up, had a population of probably 1,500. Yeah. And I shared with her the head office um, for, for Woolworths had a population of 4,000. And uh, she couldn't get her head around the, the, the scale, which is, which is, you know, Quite natural, but Woolies was a scale business, but it was a people business. Mm. And people people got their view of Woolworths from their local store. 
Um, so their judgment of how Woolworths was going was not necessarily how the share price was going or how the, you know, corporately it was. Uh, um, they were most interested in in the service they got in their local store and and the the reception that they got in their local store, which was a huge learning for me. Scale is scale, but it doesn't mean that you you, you depersonalise or you create a, a gap between you and, and customers. And I think that's got, obviously, application for most industries, um, tourism being one of them. I'm curious to know, and, and bring it back to a tourism perspective, quality assurance. You're dealing with Woolworths, both product, service delivery, but a regional Woolworths in, as you say, the, the smallest town in regional Australia and major popular, you know, Chadston in Victoria or centre of Sydney CBD. The quality assurance approach you must have taken and management that goes overarching to make sure that service delivery is, meets the brand. It's got to be so intense. And, and it was, and so much effort went into it. And, you know, the systematization of, of processes was important to allow a level of confidence to be placed in, in um, quality assurance, but also it created space for the time that we needed to um, invest in that. So technology was a great helper in that, but it wasn't technology to depersonalise the offer. It was technology to enable continued personalisation and, and, and delivery of, of, uh, of, of quality. But, you know, supermarket business changed um, radically, Luke, um, in as much as, you know, in the early days you sold Wheaties and Vegemite and, you know, Kellogg's Corn Flakes and all those sort of things. But by the end of my time there, probably 40% of it was products that we were producing ourselves. Yeah. So it moved from simply being a retailer to a very serious manufacturer and marketer of our own products. And and that change was a massive change for the business for the reasons that you've touched on. You went from trusting the quality assurance of those known, known and named brands to having to create that environment pretty quickly in a, in a, in a uh, supermarket environment like Woolworths. And the other thing, of course, that Woolworths, it's um, an extraordinarily competitive beast in this, uh, you know, this amazing duopoly battle that plays out day by day. And as someone who's got, you know, living the experience of having every one of these little plastic things that my kids want to pick up from, <laughs> whichever of the two, and our shopping is determined at the moment about which of the two options is the best plastic little giveaway. Um, the competitive element around that, I mean, that is a day by day proposition for you, isn't it? How, how, did, how did you tackle that when you've got, you know, this competitor down the road is ruthlessly going after you and you're ruthlessly having to go after them to meet market share and shareholder expectations and everything under that yeah it was it was a constant and and um when people ask what i'm doing now i've retired because five years of ceo of a place that's got 220,000 staff and 3,000 stores is 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 truly a seven day a week 24 hour um, business. We we had more fuel sites than anyone, more liquor sites, um, more supermarkets, more hotels. And, and if you kind of add up all of the issues that, that not just within a supermarket, but within a liquor store or a petrol outlet or a hotel, you, you think of all of the, not just from a competitive point of view, but from an operational point of view. And like the Prime Minister, as, as CEO of Woolworths, you need to be across it all <laughs> to mm. answer any question that may come. But the really interesting thing about the uh, competitive piece loop was a challenge for Woolies and, and 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 that was when you're successful it's really important to truly understand why you're successful um, and, and 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 I say that because I think it relates to Tassie a little bit sometimes when you're getting good sales or good visitor numbers you're satisfied you may not understand completely why it's happening but you're satisfied because you're meeting a KPI or or, or whatever 
but that's dangerous because your success could be due to a, a failing competitor or another market event that if you don't pay proper attention to can quickly turn on you. And, and Cole's reinvention some years ago was a great example of that where Woolies were steaming along and, and, um, and I think we probably thought more of our ability at that stage um, than we were entitled to. And I, I, but that, the lesson in all of that is, I guess, to truly understand what's driving your success. And if you do, then you can properly protect it, enhance it, do those sort of things. But I think there are a lot of businesses that, that take success and just bank it. Mm. without fully understanding. I hope that makes sense to you because I, it's the way I think about Tassie a little bit too. Obviously, it's successful, but, you know, knowing really well why it is and what you've got to protect and what you've got to enhance is is um, just really solid strategy. Not the, the lack of complacency, the lack of, uh, you know, you only won... I don't know what era it was, but I imagine we mentioned the Coles reinvention. Was it one jingle uh, down down campaign? I don't know if that was yes. your era. Yeah, like one yeah, jingle, yeah. one one disruption from a competitor that, or one disruption locally that can completely put put you on a different course. And Tassie Tourism has seen that so often around, you know, whether it's a new investment or a new uh, access stream or indeed another market somewhere else in the country that's you know got a new aviation partnership in place that we have to respond to. It's been the that ability to actually also, I guess, you know, pivot, to use the horrible word, but but just uh, know what your core strengths are for when something you can't control from a competitor is thrown at you from left centre. I think I think that's, that's spot on and I think it's something that you um, understand, Luke, and I think that that should give people confidence that, that the complacency that you talk about, which is a curse, is uh, the chances of that are minimised. So, uh, But it's, uh, it's one of the similarities that, you know, came to me when when looking at tourism and comparing it to retail. So 2016 comes and um, you semi-retire, I don't think, uh, or, part, or leave Woolworths. A couple of years later, pop up really on our radar, uh, back again as Tasmanian, as appointed chair of the Port Arthur Historic Site, which uh, is not only our single largest attraction, but it's also obviously a, a pretty integral part of that brand strength that we've got. Firstly, what attracted you to the role and... Um, yeah, what was, what's your experience as, a, I guess, a custodian of such a such an important asset been over the last two years? Yeah, I'm really excited about Port Arthur and, and I guess how I got there was the decision I made sometime before I retired actually was the next chapter of my life was going to be about giving back. Uh, no one gets to a position or a place in life without the assistance and investment of others in you. Um, I'm sure you're the same, Luke, that you can kind of map people that have helped you, whether that be advice or opportunities or whatever. And at a point in time, it becomes your responsibility, besides doing it along the way during your career. If you've got a, an opportunity, which I have, to devote time to giving back, that's what I do. So so since leaving Woolies, unless it fits under the banner of giving back, it, uh, it's not considered. So Port Arthur, because it was in Tassie, and Tassie was kind of instrumental in in my values, my opportunities, those sort of things that kind of fitted the mould along with other things that I, I now do. They all fit into that category. Well, Arthur was of interest to me because as a, as a kid growing up in Tassie, because my dad had grown up in the south of the state, we holidayed quite often in the, in, in the south um, so that he could visit his, his family. And so whether it was tuna fishing out off Port Arthur or, you know, going to the remarkable caves. And we've got some still wonderful photos of, of, of those days and visits to Port Arthur, of course. Um, it's an icon. And as it turned out, I had a connection there that I wasn't clear on. I, my 
great-great-great-grandfather, Thomas Samuel Stewart, um, was actually the assistant superintendent at Point Pua. Right. And, uh, and my great-great-grandmother was born in, in their house in Port Arthur. Oh, wow. And that's what Port Arthur does to you. It gets into yeah. your skin and, 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 you know, you look at it from a distance and it's full of history and all those sort of things. But, you know, uh, it's that- my re... That dramatic transformations happened in the last 30 years where t- oh, Tasmanians, my understand, used to be a little embarrassed if they had a Port Arthur link. And now it's, I'm disappointed when I found out that my family didn't have a Port Arthur link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that transition's happened. <laughs> it's very much like that. And, and, and I think there are so many stories, you know. I, I'm, I'm so motivated by the place and, and what it's contributed to the fabric of Tasmania. You know, the Mercury newspaper was started by the Davies brothers. One mm. of the Davies was a was a convict or from the from that family was a convict. The the, the uh, Mr. Cripps who started the bakery was a was a convict. Yeah. One in four Tasmanians have got a, a direct connection to convict ancestry. You know, so if you're standing with four people in the street, one of you is a fair chance to have to have uh, a connection. Four of our most recent prime ministers, uh, Morrison, Turnbull Howard and Rudd are all descendants of convicts. This and, and, and why it is the way it is is what you touched on, Luke. For a period of time, it wasn't something that people necessarily wanted to find out about or were proud of, but now it's different. And I think that's the opportunity for not just Port Arthur but for Tasmania. Tasmania is the best, most intact example of the colonial period um, in Australia and, and I think... Um, we're just scratching the surface in terms of the impact that can be not only on local tourism, but on on us understanding who who we are and and, and where we came from. You know, th- there's a complete story that needs to be told, whether or not that's the truth telling around the indigenous space. But uh, also, I would say there's there is still a lot of a lot of history in and around the um, the convict era and its its contribution. And I'm really excited about the the opening in a month or so of the uh, Cascade Female Factory, which yeah. will embody a huge piece of of the history of women in in uh, in Australia and, and and how it's 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 uh, impact or the impact of the female factory on that. Um, so so you know I was I was hooked by the opportunity and I started in December and uh, we had bushfires and then we. Had COVID, so it's been. Well, I was going to touch on that. So, I mean, I'm unashamedly. I I believe Port Arthur's one of the truly great, um, irrespective of the heritage and cultural um, values of it, as a tourism asset. It's its development over the last twenty years around the quality of the infrastructure, the experience it's created, is as good as any example in the country, and that's why I think won the Australian Tourism Award probably a few months after you got the gig. Then yep. you get smashed by, as you say, a fire, and then COVID. Um, that you know you had this effectively this Rolls Royce tourism asset that's suddenly been completely and utterly disrupted. And I know you know that the the other thing about Port Arthur, it's obviously this massive employer and economic generator for the entire region. That must have been a uh, a pretty sobering kind of real, you know process to work through around the around just dealing with that disruption. Um, and certainly not something you signed up to. No, I think the, I think a couple of things in response to that, Luke. I think one of the, one of the great fortunes of uh, of Port Arthur was put in place some time ago when it was you know, kind of enacted. The, the GBE was created, and and the support from government was um, was was forthcoming all of those years ago, and remains in place to date. That's allowed. Port Arthur to continue to operate, and to your really important point about its impact on the peninsula and the people of the peninsula, both from an employment but broader economic point of view, has been 
maintained to a good level despite the, the challenges of COVID. It's been a real challenge for staff as, as it has for, for so many operators, particularly in the in the tourism area. But, you know, Tasmanians, I think, uh, have, a, have a, a healthy level of optimism and, and trust in each other. And, 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 and that's what I've seen at, at, uh, at Port Arthur. They've kind of knuckled down and done what they've done to keep themselves safe, to keep yeah. the site intact. Been no step back from the conservation work and the like. So that's been terrific to see and really driven by the people of Port Arthur. We've also used that time to get the Cascade Female Factory built. Um, looking forward to, you know, some more le normal levels of, of visitation, which will, you know, have, have something new in the marketplace in the CBD of Hobart that's again, taking another step in, in engaging people in the convict era and story. So the other thing about obviously Port Arthur, and I'll, this is probably the lead into the where we're going Tourism Taz, is that it was, I think, if not alongside Freysnay, probably our, our biggest visitor attraction in terms of numbers. There were, we've obviously over the last six or seven years and some of the conversations you probably walked into were around scale, volume over yield. Obviously, you and I, I think, have spoken about cruise ships and, and the number of ships at the site and people's expectations around a, around a conservation and World Heritage site. The, the, how much in the context of the disruption of COVID are you still having to balance it off with the you know, strategic thinking around, well, what is the future of that site and you know, how are we going to manage the kind of projected numbers of growth and what are, what are the right numbers? Um, has that been the balanced off for the last 12 months or...? Is it is it all been about just getting through the disruption now? Turn the page to look at that stuff. I think the a bit of both is the is the truthful answer, Luke. I think um, it's given us an opportunity. Just before I started, uh, just as an example of the, the good thinking, I believe is the um, the site undertook a, a carrying capacity um, study, um, which which for a site like Port Arthur is is really important to inform you know what the right levels of visitation are that um, not only preserve the, the conservation aspects but also preserve the, the visitor experience and and that applies um, to the to the broader state um, I think I think the thing about Tassie is from my perspective it's in it's absolutely in the sweet spot for what the world wants right now and will want moving forward it's safe it's uncrowded it's natural it's innovative and it's got a unique bunch of people that are down to earth and 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 uh, a window to what others may 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 want or, or or see in their life. So so when you look around the world or you, you look around the different choices that tourists have, the uh, challenge for for Tasmania is not, in my view, going to be attracting people. It's going to be doing it in 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 a way that again protects what needs to be protected and 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 enhances what needs to be enhanced. So so it's more. That's you know one of the considerations for uh, the tourism industry in the state that we've touched on. But I, I don't think it's a question of, of, of people's appetite to come to Tasmania. Mm. I think there is a pent up and and significant wish for people to travel Tasmania. They're picking their right time when they feel safe to travel and those sort of things. But um, COVID gave us a time to reflect and 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 make some changes. I think we need to probably move. Um, now um, uh, on those to to properly understand what it is that the state should be doing. You touch on cruise ships, for instance, and, yeah. and that's an interesting one for me and Port Arthur, um, because if you're at Port Arthur when there's no tourism 
uh, to, uh, cruise ship there. It's a very different experience to when there is a cruise ship there, and 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 there's some of the things that we're talking about at the moment. So you get the you get the call in what October, September, October last year from I imagine the premier or the or minister, and uh, Grant, mm-hmm. you're interested in taking on the chair of tourism, Taz. Um, Interesting thing about that, from the 25 years of Tourism Tasmania, you're, you're the first chair that hasn't come probably from the tourism industry, um, if you look at the history of it. You know, most of the past chairs have been very heavy, heavy background or dominant professional background as a, in, in this sector. And you've, you know, obviously, you know, along with the, the Port Arthur role, coming from a, a, a different perspective, I guess if my first question around that is what's your observation What's the biggest thing that surprised you about the industry uh, since you've actually stepped into that role? What What was the thing your perception you had that has been smashed in the last three or four months in tourism to Mania or across the industry as a whole? I think for me, the the, the passion um, and commitment among the operators, and and if ever there was a, a an opportunity for that to be challenged, it's during the COVID time. But but you know, and I I met recently um, some key members of, of both the hospitality and the, the tourist industry. And to a person, you could be forgiven to think that there wasn't a, a, a pandemic. They weren't talking about the, so much about the, the, you know, the challenges. They were talking about the opportunities. Hmm. And so the level of enthusiasm was beyond what I, I, I thought it might be. I thought, I thought COVID might, be, might have taken the spark from people. But I think they get what I spoke about a moment ago. I hmm. think they, they, they get that they've got a product that is, that is highly desirable and they're thinking about getting ready for that and and you know what tweaks need to be made to either the industry or policy or their own offers that are going to uh, maximize that opportunity so the simple answer to your question is i've been blown away by the level of enthusiasm of of the uh of the uh, operators from you know the the small bnb to to the larger more premium um offers and 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 it makes sense to me because of the the uh the opportunity that there is for the state. If I had to identify one thing, that would be it. A retailer taking on a tourism, that's interesting. And, mm. and, and I think I talked to quite a few people before I, I, I took it on because you don't take on jobs like that or any, any leadership role for, for, for that matter without thinking about it properly. And so I consulted quite a few people and the experience, direct industry experience was one of the things that I tested uh, the people I spoke to about, but I got the sort of feedback that I thought I could make a contribution. Yeah. Um, it, it fitted under my my heading of giving back, and that's the only reason I'm 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 really doing it is that I think I've got something to offer based on the feedback I got when I did my research. I've got a huge belief in the state. It's one of Tasmania's most important sectors, obviously, yeah. and my experience and passion for the state I think can add value. That's uh, that's my going in position. Ask me again in a year, and, and there you, we you, go. Can, you, can, you can see how far <laughs> we've gotten. Yeah. Um, and tourism, Taz. So again, this this evolution of an industry, and you, you would have picked this up. Yeah, you know, in the old days, there was this. I always refer to it as the Mother Tourism Tasmania attitude that we had this uh, this uh, government funded organisation with a big budget who would uh, do the marketing and do tell us the strategy, and and the visitors would come, and and then my job as an operator was to make sure I got my share of that pie to now something a bit more sophisticated and, and obviously the role of Tourism Taz has evolved to, to very much being a, a true destination marketing organisation. I guess, have you, have you drawn any conclusions yet about 
some of these challenges you've identified, some of these opportunities around our brand, about knowing what we stand for. What what do you say is Tourism Tasmania's core role in in the next three or four years around shepherding some of that stuff? Collaborate. Yeah, right. In in a word, it, it's it's a you know in your words, sophisticated destination marketing. It's a sophisticated um, ecosystem, I think. In in Tasmania, any, any any ecosystem can be improved, but I think the there's a there's a high level of consultation, you know, born out in in bodies such as the T Twenty One and PVAC and 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 those sorts of things that that I think are probably unique from a national perspective, and I think have been and will continue to be highly effective in bringing industry and marketing together. You, if I go to the supermarket business, you cannot have a marketing department that's 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 um, divorced from the product development and, and, and product management. Um, the two are inextricably linked and need to. Uh, they only get into trouble when they go off on their own tangents. And uh, so collaboration uh, exists. Collaboration is and should be a, a core strength of the Tasmanian industry because the beauty about Tassie is you can get your arms around it. Yeah. And, and, and I think... That opportunity can't be wasted by by not collaborating to to, to the fullest extent. In, uh, to the industry meetings that I've had in the last I, I had over the last uh, few weeks, and and my, the feedback from the the other directors from Tourism Tasmania was so positive about the opportunity to to hear um, what I described before, not only about the enthusiasm, but but hear directly from the operators for the people that are charged with with. Uh, um, Helping to manage the marketing of the uh, of the state, so you know Tassie's got that opportunity. It's been using it well up until this point in time. I think there's another level of improvement um, available, and 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 that's what I'll be working with you and, and and others to play my part in. All right, we could keep unpacking this another twenty minutes. I'm just conscious of the time. Let uh, I, I do want to ask you about one other hat you wear because it's a passion project for me, and I know a lot of listeners. And I'll just put it through you directly: Are we going to get an AFL team? You are on the task force that the premier set up. It's it's obviously it's it is as high powered. We've had this this illustrious task force with Brett Godfrey and James Henderson yourself. Um, we understand it's all coming to the uh, the critical moment um, when the decision will be made. Are you confident? Yeah, I'm a I'm I'm a bit superstitious, so I'm going to be careful <laughs> with what I say. I don't want to jinx it, um, uh, and that's kind of a foolish thing to say in one respect but to to answer your question if you'd have asked me a year ago i'd have said 50 50 my answer today is that it's better than that yeah um good. and and we've, we've still got work to do we and the thing that we can't do is we can't get ahead of ourselves but look the thing and i i i, I guess you're the same but but for me it isn't it isn't just about Getting an elite sporting team in the state, or even the the sport sporting tourism that it'll bring to the state. Sport is is a gel that bonds communities. And having grown up in a small community and played sport in a small community, it, it's so important. It, it makes sure that the community is visible. It makes sure that no one gets left behind. And what's attached to that is sports the enabler for that. But for me, the great outcome out of these sort of things is that is that communities thrive and, and survive. So my hope is with an elite team that it spawns a rebirth of, of community involvement in sport um, and in this case AFL. Um, and, and that's part of the reason for my, big part of my, the reason for my involvement in it. But you're right, we've got some terrific people around the table and, and, and within the state, um, all number of people um, wanting to help and, and the AFL are, um, 
are throwing resources at this as we would expect them to. Um, so everything points to a good process. And, and from my point of view, as I said, I'm, I'm on the positive side of 50-50. Did you, uh, you see, we play, you played for Clarence in the, what, early 90s would have been or late 80s or? Early to mid 80s. Would, so I, 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 I. The uh, glory days of local footy, which uh, I, I've heard many stories about. But would you have thought back then that it would be 2021 and we still wouldn't have a VFL slash AFL team? Or did you sense that it was inevitable? Look, I, 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 I hoped upon hope that uh, I remember attending a game, and I'll get the year wrong, Luke, but I think it might have been 1990 when, when Tasmania played the VFL as beat them. the AFL and beat them. Yeah. I was in that crowd. Yeah. And, and, and after that, the AFL said, you know, well, that's probably good enough for us. We think it's time for a side. And, yeah. and of course, each of those sort of empty promises have, have, have fallen away and we find ourselves in a position where I think this is, well, you can't say it's the last roll of the dice, but if this one doesn't get up, I fear that it will be a very, very long time before it ever, it ever gets on the agenda again. And more than that, I fear that the opportunity for young men and women to engage in sport will be diminished as a result. I can say, I mean, the, the market's speaking. I've got three uh, very obsessed Jack Jumper fans, um, and yeah. every kid. I mean, you just have to. You talk about the participation levels. It's impossible to get a basketball uh, book uh, court booked around Tasmania at the moment. Um, we've gone uh, basketball crazy, and that's for the reasons you said about having that elite pathway, that accessible pathway, that buzz that's created by having a team you can connect to. And uh, yeah, AFL just needs that in Tassie. I think um, it's reached that point, or in, indeed, as I say, it'll, it'll probably never happen. And the state will move on to other things. I think the other thing, you know, because we're talking about tourism, is is that um, for people to understand is that the dividend for the state is massive. Yeah. Um, you know, for every dollar that the state will invest in this, they're going to get five back. It's in that order. It's a, it's a very significant return and, and people might look at money being put into football and asking, you know, why is that a good thing? It generates significant funds and therefore employment um, for, for the state. So it's not just about... Footy. I'd say the the, first, the the single biggest event. When we talked about the Ashes Test and the impact of that, but the single biggest sporting event Tasmania will host uh, will be the inaugural Tasmania versus Collingwood game at Launceston. Yes. yes. In terms of well, in terms of eyeballs, interest, enthusiasm, crowd, and then uh, the the beauty of having your own teams that two weeks later will be Carlton and then Essendon yeah. and then West Coast and you know it's not a it's not a one off thing. It's a every two weeks thing. Anyway, talk about footy to the cows come home as we talk about Port Arthur and tourism. Grant O'Brien. The seven big questions. Now, this is where you'll really be judged by our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and think of the politics of the industry now represent when you answer a couple of them, starting with this one. Favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Um, penguin. Um, not just because it, it still is home to me, but it's the prettiest seaside town in, in all of Australia. So that's amazing? an easy one. I always think if you're if you're someone coming down from Melbourne or Sydney and you drove up the northwest coast and you went into a town like Penguin, you, uh, Boat Harbour, any of those northwest towns, you would just yeah. think you're in heaven. Yep. All right, Penguin, it is favourite travel destination anywhere in the world. I've travelled a bit, so this was this was a tough one, but my answer is actually in Australia. It's Lord Howe Island. Wow. Uh, Lord Howe Island is. I went to last year with my my brother, and I'm going with my family again in a few weeks. Um, they put a limit of 400 people on. On who can go on the island, and it's this kind of untouched, uh, unsophisticated in in a way island that uh, just forces you to 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 relax. And and I remember going in and, and saying, uh, um, and they put bags in the room. And I said, "Can can I have my keys now?" And they say, "We don't do keys here, so nothing's locked." 
And that reminds me of Penguin when yeah. I grew up. So a nice little trip back in, in time. Well, I was going to say, your next trip, uh, have you done Flinders? I haven't, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so keen to get to... Uh, Flinders. Yeah, Pencilin. I'm told that Flinders has a lot of those same characteristics as Lordhouse. So, yeah. Um, now, apart from having a photo taken with the giant penguin, someone coming <laughs> to Tasmania for the very first time in their lives asks you what's the one thing they must experience while they're here. What is it? It's a Pennycott boat tour around the Tasman Peninsula. And why I say that is two reasons. One is I just think that area is, is, is a it, it, it's the spectacular beauty of, of, of that area. And it's not just because Port Arthur's there. The Tasman is a place of three capes walks and those sort of things that I've done. But I think any tourism experience in Tasmania is, yes, about the places, but I think it's about the people. Um, and, and that's become apparent to me when I, whilst I've lived away. And Rob Pennicott to me is kind of the quintessential Tasmanian. And, and that's, a really, that's a really big part of people's experience here. They love the reception that they get, whether it's in a cafe or a, or a hotel room. And most Tasmanians won't realise it. What they offer in terms of service and conversation and those sort of things is becoming more and more unique. And it's something, you know, when we talk about how do you protect and, and or what do you protect, the Tasmanian character is is such a draw card and such a big part of people's experience in Tasmania, in my view. Yeah, I always say the genius of Rob's tours and um, I've been fortunate to do that particular one seven or eight times and I reckon I've had seven or eight of his boat skippers and they're all a bit like Rob. <laughs> it's, it's the experience is uh, the culture right through you. Uh, you would never be disappointed. They're all they're all they're all local fishers fishermen, and they all got that same personality and Tassie character, as you say. That's all right. terrific. You're walking the Overland Track. Have you ever done it? No, not no. 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 All right. You no. can well when you do it, you can take three people, living or dead, famous, not famous. Who are they, and why? Quickly. <laughs> uh, Billy Conley. Billy for a laugh. Uh, yep. For a laugh. Ash Barty, just because I think she's a fantastic person and relevant, and a fellow that no one will know, a fellow by the name of Adnan Amani, who I worked with, uh, unfortunately died way too young of pancreatic cancer, but he would have loved the walk and he would have taken photos that we would have kind of looked at over many many years um, um, past the uh, past the walk. So Billy, Ash, and Avna would be my three people. Great answer. You're road tripping around Tasmania. What are you listening to in the car right now? Yeah, really easy. Van Morrison. Van Morrison. Yeah, no, he'd go well driving around the northwest coast. Yep. Um, when you arrive, tipple of choice at your destination: beer, wine, he- whiskey. No, Henry's ginger beer. Henry's ginger beer. That's the first one. Yeah, yeah, no, no, good one. And the last one, and this is the big debate, and it's running 50-50, <laughs> and, and it is a controversial one for you because it is a, it does feature in one of the Tourism Tasmania's outstanding ads, which I'm not is a wonderful piece of creative advertising, but it did lead to the debate. Curried Tasmanian scallops, culinary delight or a culinary crime? Scallops, yes, curried, no. So, crime. Crime, okay. It's a big call. It's a big call. Great ad, though. Great in pies, but, yeah, Tassie seafood. <laughs> All right, Grant O'Brien, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you, thank you for sharing so much of your insights. I can tell you, I mean, almost to a T, uh, everyone who has engaged with you and even when you took the appointment were thrilled for all the reasons, you know, despite the lack of, you know, the, the expressed lack of obvious tourism background that we're excited by that. And um, I think what we've learned from you in the last 20 minutes um, gives a bit of insight why you've got a, you've got a worldly experience and a passion for Tassie that I'm sure we're going to see play out, whether it's with Port Arthur. Uh, Tourism Tasmania or indeed the uh, the inevitable board for a Tasmanian AFL team that you'll sit on at one point. Um, thank you for being part of it. Enjoy it. Uh, yeah, terrific. Um, and 
I look forward to connecting to more people in the industry and, and, and of course, working with you, Luke. I think your passion for, for the industry is, is renowned and, and it's uh, what we need to take, uh, take full, full advantage of, of the opportunity that Tassie has. So, oh. thank you. Thanks, Graham. So, thank you for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so um, when we've got new fresh episodes. Also, remember to tell a friend or tourism colleague, particularly this episode, uh, a lot of Tasmanian tourism operators would be very interested in knowing more about Grant and, and his vision, and uh, I'm sure this would be a great episode to share with some colleagues. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania. I'm your host, Luke Martin, and we'll catch up with you next time.